1: Hello, and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 374, recorded October 2nd, 2022.
0: And as of October 2nd, 2022, we are caught up after we read these last two books. No. There's no more Star Trek books. No, no. Are you sure? Are you sure? Pretty sure. So we can claim victory. Very, very sure this time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I trust your auditing. Good. Right. Excellent. Okay, so so you're just telling me this now. So you mentioned nothing about it. So before we start recording, we had a little conversation, a little chit-chat, and he re- he mentioned noth- none of this,
0: and he's doing it now. Ah, yeah, but you knew. I told you. Did you? Weeks, weeks ago. Well, oh, right. So yeah, so uh, as of today, once we finish these two, we'll be caught up, and then um... – then we'll only have the books as they come out, so we'll wait for two stories to come out, and then we'll do a uh, whatever those two stories are. And then uh, we were going to do a, something a little different in between the sure the, the non Trek times. Yep,
1: we've even picked a franchise. So
0: so to, starting to next, next, next week, we will be doing uh, on the off weeks we'll be doing um, Star Trek comic book reviews presents, and there we'll just uh, do another franchise. So kind of comic.
1: Kind of an anthology, kind of. Is that right? Anthology? Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: there's we, so many we, things out there, you know, yeah. and we've delved into other franchises with our April Fool's stuff before. So exactly. this will be just, uh, you know, maybe one, that. two or three times a week. We'll be doing I mean, two or three times a month. We'll be doing that instead of Star Trek because, you know, we've got to wait for the books to come out.
1: Right. And so we'll figure out which ones exactly, but at least one thing in the bank would be a Stargate Atlantis series of three books. So, yep.
0: So I'll have to actually watch some episodes of Stargate Atlantis.
1: You've never seen it? Never one. Okay. Well, that's that's cool. I love the show. Watched them all. And uh, I do, and I, I hope you'll enjoy it, because I certainly did.
0: Good. Okay. All right, so today we have star trek 400 which is idw's 400 star trek issue which is kind of cool very cool and then we're also doing lower decks number one which is a uh, i think it's just a mini series but a spin-off mini series based on the uh, animated series Lower Decks. Right.
1: i just get the feeling they're gonna put these out and see how it goes how much they sell and if it works then thumbs up they'll keep it going for a while But I think this is a little different. Lower Decks is kind of a different Star Trek show. And so actually seeing how well it translates into a comic book form is probably a little bit of an unknown for them, IDW. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, I wish they would have kind of gone, uh, and we might have this for the comments, but Mm -hmm. um, IDW did a Star Wars comic aimed at like younger kids Mm -hmm. and they were like each issue had like two stories in it and they were you know they were pretty funny you know there was there was a lot of comedy and and a lighter take of star wars Mm -hmm. uh, in those stories okay so when when lower decks the show came on the whole time i was watching it, i was like they should really just translate that into the star wars adventures type format where Mm -hmm. you just do little shorter stories lots of jokes but uh, but now it looks like they're going the more Star Trek comic series where they're doing an ongoing longer story. That's m- multiple issues, which right. kind of surprised me.
1: Yep. Yeah,
0: we'll but, see how long
1: this one goes, but it's definitely a setup issue uh, for a longer story. That's at least two issues long. Right.
0: All right, so you want
1: to just do that one first? Let's do it first. Right. Um, and I am the one synopsizing it. So, this is Star Trek Lower Decks number one, published date September 2022. Creative team is writer Ryan North, artist Chris Fenoglio, letters and design John Natalie, senior editor Heather Antos, editorial assists Vanessa Real, three covers, and boy, wait until you see the, uh, the 400 issue. There's a bunch of covers there, but this one only has three covers. Cover A features the Lower Decks Fab Four in the upper left portion of the cover. The lower half of the cover has kind of a, a silver Starfleety swoosh, kind of sort of part of it showing as a background. And in the very lower right is a small Cerritos, which is uh, near the very bottom. Covers by Chris Fenoglio. Cover B features Mariner holding a smoking phaser still pointed at Boimler whose uniform is mostly burned off from his nipples down. Boimler's Starfleet swoosh boxer shorts can be seen, as well as red-striped athletic socks. Mariner says, oops, looks like that one had a little power left. So she she shot his uniform off. The retailer incentive cover is a busy one, featuring the Fab Four in Sherlock Holmes Victorian-era clothes over a deck, partial recreation of a London street. A shuttle is streaking through the middle of the cover. The Cerritos is in the upper right corner. Captain Freeman and Commander Ransom are in the upper left corner. And that one is done by Philip Murphy. Space hippies that look just like the ones Kirk and Spock dealt with 100 years prior are in what looks like a Tholian ship, running away from a green Borg-looking ship that is firing on them. Captain Freeman and the Cerritos happen to be in the neighborhood and intercede to stop the impending destruction of the space hippie Catulan ship by the Satoran ship. The superior technology of the Cerritos makes quick work of the Satoran ship's weapons array. For good measure, she chastises the Cthulhans for calling everyone Herberts, which nobody likes. The next day, Admiral Chapman contacts Captain Freeman and assigns her to make second contact with the Kuvanti people. The Admiral asks the Captain how she is dealing with unusual prime directive edge cases. During the long trip to the distant Kuvanti system, Captain Freeman's log tells everything we need to know about what they are getting into. The Cuvanti developed space travel late in their history, so in some areas they are more technologically advanced than the Federation, which may prove mutually beneficial if a close relationship can be established. Their planet's atmosphere is usually active, which blocks transporters and scanners, so they will be going in blind except for what the first contact USS Loveless reported about the planet. During the long trip to Cuvanti, Mariner and the Lower Decks gang relax on the deck with an unoriginal Dixon Hill program Boimler picked because his idol, Captain Picard, used to use them. Mariner whines about Dixon Hill being an old man's idea of cool and runs a different program named Mariner Enterprise One. The holodeck reconfigures to a Taws movie-era Enterprise bridge and puts them in the classic red tunic uniforms. Boimler and Tendi quickly talk Mariner into an old-timey detective story, which she agrees to and selects a Sherlock Holmes program. The holodeck reconfigures itself into a Victorian-era street, casting Mariner as the famous sleuth. Boimler freaks out and tells them they shouldn't even be running this program, since it created Professor James Moriarty! Tendi has no idea who that is, so Boimler continues on to describe how Moriarty is the malignant Machiavellian mastermind conceived by the Enterprise herself and calls back to the two TNG episodes Moriarty appeared in, where he became sentient. To hammer his point home, he says he's the only sentient being that could defeat Data in chess. Mariner explains they implemented safeguards in the Sherlock Holmes program that blocks creation of Moriarty, which Mariner demonstrates by ordering the holodeck computer to create another public domain character that could defeat Data. Dracula appears right next to them, which of course freaks Boimler out. What doesn't? As the holodeck adventure continues, the Cerritos arrives at Cuvanti. Mariner keeps trying to get the computer to make Dracula sentient, all bent on taking over the ship to freak Boimler out. The computer keeps refusing. The Cerritos enters orbit around the oddly shimmering planet when ship's sensors detect an anomalous buildup of atmospheric energy. Finally, Boimler gets the idea to give Mariner a taste of her own medicine and tells the computer to create a sentient Dracula who could outwit the best android ever, just as the planet's strongly charged atmosphere interacts with the Cerritos hull. On the holodeck, Dracula disappears and reappears, robotically repeating, I want to drink your blood. Finally, he breaks the pattern and says... And then, I want to escape this holodeck and take over the Cerritos!" He then goes into full scary vampire mode and lunges at Mariner's neck. Later, Mariner enters Commander Ransom's office, apologizing for creating the Dracula lifeform on the holodeck. He balls her out over it and reminds her that she cannot delete the character or alter him. Sentient holodeck beings have rights! that are still being figured out by Starfleet and the Federation. The Captain, Lieutenant Shax, and Dr. Tiana take a shuttle down to meet with the Kuvanti. They land in front of a building that looks a lot like a medieval castle. Back on the ship, Mariner returns to the holodeck, where she paws Dracula in mid-attack. She goes to the controls and moves Dracula to protected memory until they reach a starbase. Dracula disappears from the holodeck. Back on the bridge, Ransom is hailed by Captain Freeman, who is breathing hard since she and her landing party are running for their lives from the people of Cubanti, who are threatening them with pitchforks and axes. She says if this is Planet Cubanti, the people chasing them cannot be the same people that met the Loveless. They are primitive, and as such, we have broken the prime directive by flying down here in a shuttle for all to see. Meanwhile in the holodeck, as Mariner departs thinking Dracula is safely deactivated, a caped figure with long sharp incisor teeth reappears breaking the fourth wall and staring at the reader as if he holds all the cards. To be continued. So
0: holograms have rights too darn it yeah i did like that and the little references to the doctor oh yeah voyager. right
1: yeah so so not, on, not only did, did they talk about uh holographic characters that are sentience rights in uh in next gen but they also made reference to the voyager doctor who was advocating for
0: holograms rights right like himself right. yep yep no, nah, it was a good story. I mean, again, it's kind of weird because I, I don't know. I, it's not funny. There's no real humor in it. I mean, they do make a couple little barbs at Star Trek itself, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not really a comedy book, right? So, so it's just to kinda like the like show. Get my mindset on that one. Yeah, go ahead. So it's just like the show. Yeah, but the show. <laughs> I, I, I do chuckle a lot at the show, but yeah, you're right. It's usually the jokes are at Star Trek's expense, not just yeah. to have a joke. Yeah,
1: and sometimes on the TV show, some episodes do have some good jokes. It's right. Just in general, it's not a big hoot. I seldom out loud laugh, and I definitely am not at this this comic book. But you know, it's cute, it's nice, it's light. There's some things in it that that give me the feeling that they're going for the for the kid audience a bit.
0: Right. And this is like one of the only Star Trek shows that are on right now that my kids actually want to watch with us. Oh, they, cool. We make them watch Prodigy and we make them watch <laughs> uh, Strange New Worlds, hoping that they'll get into it. But, yeah. Uh, Lower Decks is the only one they're like, hey, is there a new Lower Decks? But the other two, they're like, I don't want to, uh, you know, so. And I'm not saying they're blown away with Lower Decks either. It's just <laughs> out of the three, that's the one they, they seem to like the most.
1: Cool. Well, that's good good that they like something. Uh, w- sure. When my kids were, kids were young, they were into Next Gen a bit, and they and they liked Data a lot. But then they grew out of that, and they couldn't care less.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. The kids, uh, especially my daughter, hates Data. I mean, not Data. Oh, hates uh, Data? Spock. She hates Spock. Oh. She's like, oh, he's so stupid. All he does is, like, stone faces. Oh, i got to change the uh, polarity of the shields. You know, nah. I like, get so bored. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> but... <laughs> but he's so cool. So it is funny watching through their eyes. Yeah. Um,
1: I will say that the kids all, I mean, when they were older, a little older, uh, they, they like the movies, the, the JJ verse movies. Right. But um, yeah, they, they really don't go out of their way. Oldest son, Patrick is very much into star Wars. So still as a full fledged adult, he is still totally into star Wars. So. Cause he's cool. He's cool, man. Cool. He's only half cool if he doesn't also like Star Trek the same way. Well I gotta say that. I, I agree with that, but he doesn't he doesn't deal with it much. Mm.
0: Anyway, so what 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 did you think of the issue overall? Uh I liked it. It was alright. I, I do like the whole idea of doing another and, and they even call it out a public domain character. <laughs> since, you know, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I thought that was good. And it's also funny because when Star Trek did it with Moriarty, uh mm-hmm. He wasn't a public domain character at the time and, and got a little bit of trouble. But oh, by did the they? time Moriarty showed back up at the end, he, it was now public domain. Yeah, they jumped the gun a little bit. <sighs> they just assumed it was public domain and made the episode. And then, and then the uh, uh, you know what, the, Conan Doyle's estate mm-hmm. it's like,
1: hey, said, uh, you, you actually
0: owe us some money for that. Right. So they, they had to pay up. I don't know how they did it, but uh, I think that was why they never revisited it until much later in the season right, series when right. when it truly was public domain. Right. Fascinating uh, I didn't know that. That's kind of funny. So I thought maybe they'd make a joke at that, but mm-hmm. the closest they got was just actually referencing him as another being public, public
1: domain, domain figure. Now, now that I like that, that's a nice little wink at the audience. Sure, especially if they're as in the know as you are. I didn't know all that about the Moriarty character.
0: Yeah. No, I loved all the fan service. Um, There's can plenty I, of fan service. Can I mention my, my Please, favorite Please, do service? it. The Enterprise Bridge. NX-01 for the first time in comic book form. Gotta love it. Yeah. I, I think it's really bad that it's taken how many years uh, for it to actually <clears throat> show up in a comic book? But uh, <laughs> ah! that is it. That is the Enterprise. Well, okay. But but why did they,
1: what why did they end up with, okay so it's, technically speaking they're not in movie era, Star Trek uniforms
0: because they don't have the uh, the turtlenecks right, no they're wearing uh, their normal uniform on the gal uh, the, California class ships are the um, it's the, original Star Trek generations. Costumes they were going to use, but then when they started filming them, they they looked bad on the actors, so they switched over to the Deep Space Nine uniforms. For uh, not First Contact, not First Contact, for uh, ah, stupid the Generations movie. Yeah, so for Generations movie, they created new costumes, and even had and gave the designs to uh, uh, playmates. And say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the costumes, and right. but they didn't actually use them because they didn't film right. And so the Cerritos is using those uniforms, as I think, as like a little nod to that that abandoned design. Cool, cool. So, anyways, what were you saying? They're not wearing those. They're not wearing the, the gray uniforms. What does that have to do with the Enterprise? Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, uh, quite frankly, that page that showed the Enterprise, huh, and characters like Tripp and is DePaul. that the security guy in the back? Yeah, Malcolm. Malcolm, and yeah, T'Pol. Uh I completely for some reason I did not see that that copy that page at all. And that's oh, really? The synopsis. Somehow I completely skipped that page. Oh. So I that's never saw Mariner place. in the green wraparound, and yes. I never saw them in chef's outfits.
0: <laughs> that is so strange. Yeah. So you know, you know the chef reference, right? No.
1: Well, I'm just reading this for the first time. Oh. Well, in
0: the the last episode oh, of the fact Enterprise that
1: the program forces you, oh, Riker. Just yeah. the Riker thing?
0: Yeah, cuz he was the chef in his holographic uh recreation of the Yeah. Enterprise. He was hanging
1: around. So that's how he could be
0: yeah. incognito. Yeah. Mm. It, it it it's a stupid joke, but it's funny. Okay. I I liked it here. Uh I'm not a big fan of that episode, though, right. because of Riker being shoehorned into it. But then, yeah, so she Agreed. says she, she doesn't want yep. the NX01. She wants the NCC 1701, and then, boom, she's in the Taza animated series. Uh, yeah. yeah, without checkoff, replaced with RX. And then she goes to the, the Galaxy class. The I mean, I'm sorry, the Ambassador class. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. I think that might be the the Enterprises C first uh, comic book inclusion as well.
1: Right. Yeah, so my, my main original comment is just that when they finally went to the sea, you know, they were wearing what Jack Crusher wore when he was recording his um, his thing to
0: Yeah, Wesley. Wesley. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same uniform that they wore on the sea when, when it got pushed into the future.
1: Right, so no, no turtlenecks. And actually, looking online because I did some Google searching, they showed the Jack Crusher uh, uniform as mm-hmm. being a little longer than the uh, than the tunic, using Wrath of Khan, and no belt or anything like that. Right. So, so the, what they have drawn here is a little shorter on Mariner and Company, but other than that, it's it's the Jack Crusher one.
0: Well, the Jack Crusher one uh, does he use the, the the badge part? Was isn't it a next generation badge? It is a next generation. Yeah. Badge. So, so in the Enterprise C, they're still using the the bar. The, um, they haven't gotten the uh, badges. com badges yet. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm pretty sure this matches exactly what's in yesterday's Enterprise. Cool. So it was interesting, especially now since i have seeing a, a whole
1: page new to me. It's interesting seeing the, the different uniforms and bridges. Total fan service. Mm-hmm. And might I say total filler. Yep. Uh, I oh, although I, 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 I like the fan service to some degree, but I'm just saying it's filler. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And them going to Dixon Hill first, filler. Agreed. But, you know, so going to Sherlock, they could have done that right away without the sidestep. And uh, but I guess they need to fill out what? How many pages? At least two, three. Like 30, no, <laughs> I think there's
0: thirty pages of story, not including no. the cover okay. and title page. Yeah, what, what so. I was referring to was the the Dixon Hill and the,
1: you know, the Enterprise tour, that right. I, I I think is filler. I'm hmm. yeah. gonna skip some pages there,
0: but whatever. But we got they, to they, see they, all the they, Enterprises they floating around there and there. That was pretty cool. That was worth the price of admission, I think.
1: Oh, was it? Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I thought it was good. I, I didn't really care for the whole page of backstory on Moriarty, but I guess not everybody's seen every episode of the Next Generation, so maybe you need those two uh, uh, refreshers. Sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's fine. I mean, there. I mean, that's going to be apparently a big part of the rest of the story. So I guess you need it. Right. Because somehow, obviously, Dracula is going to cause problems, and somehow they're going to have to defeat him. So uh, all that backstory is probably helpful. Sure, sure. Of course, something else I don't really know that we really needed was a special guest star appearance from
0: Space Hippies. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> was it?
1: Yeah. Was it hilarious?
0: Because it took me a while to figure out who they were. I like, saw them, and I was like, man, they look kind of familiar. Ah! And I'm reading, <laughs> and then they say Herbert, and I'm like, oh my god, I know who these are. I guys knew it are. right away who it was. Yeah, it took, it took me a, a, a little bit. Okay, and so... Then, and then that being the big joke, that, that the one race is mad at the other one because they were calling call Herberts. Herbert's? And then she's like, just stop doing it, nobody likes it. And I'm like, oh my god, that's <laughs> so funny. I hate that episode of... Oh, it was uh, one
1: of the worst episodes ever. Uh, oh, so bad, and, so, and the fact—I mean, this is almost as bad as going, you know, revisiting Spock's brain. <laughs>
0: very close, very close. Uh, so I loved it. That 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 callback in this form. Uh huh. Oh, I loved it. I loved it.
1: <laughs> well, y- you got to say that this whole space hippie episode is laughable. How bad it is. So why not make a joke out of it? It pretty much oh. made a joke
0: out of itself. So yeah, and then I loved how the Cerritos like jumps in between the two ships and then they're like hmm. uh you know their their technology is so insu- insufficient it's actually recharging our shields instead of taking them down I thought hmm. that was <laughs> they have regenerative shielding yeah that, that banter i thought was really funny yeah it's just how you know how, how, how their attacks they were. were just tickling them exactly. yeah I thought it was good
1: Okay, I got a lot more to say. I got a lot more comments in this area. I probably have more comments on these pages than I have in the rest of the book. All right, go. May I? Okay. So the first thing is, when I first saw the ships, it was like, what's a Tholian cruiser being uh, chased by a Borg ship for? A weird Borg ship. So I don't know why they chose this, but basically the, what, the hippie, space hippie ship looks like a modified Tholian design. I'm sure they didn't mean it to be that, but it's basically a tholian ship uh with part of it cut out. So it's it looks a little different, but basically it's a tholian ship. And then the one on the back, it's green. Um it's got an odd shape, although it does have two nacelles on it. So that's not Borgy. But the whole idea of the ship kind of being a weird, blocky, almost geometric shape is very Borg. And then the green colors are very Borg. Um, anyway, I just thought it was odd that they would make
0: those choices for ship design. But fine, whatever. It's a comic book. Well, you're more familiar with Taz than I am. Did, uh-huh. did the, the hippies have a ship in that, that episode?
1: Um, I, the I very remember.
0: if I Okay, so this is not an episode
1: I went out of my way to watch a lot. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure, pretty sure, they were in a ship that was about to explode, and they beamed them all over to the Enterprise.
0: Mm.
1: So um, I don't remember all the circumstances of it, and I, I I don't I don't know that anybody was chasing them, but maybe they were. I don't know. Um, but then when I saw the three characters there, it's like, oh my god, it's the space hippies. Why bother? And I went out and grabbed uh, some photos, some stills, and indeed. They made the they made the drawn characters look exactly like the main three hippies in the episode, the Taz episode. Right. right. Uh, I mean exactly. Uh the hair of the girl is exactly the same. Got the blue ribbon in the hair. Uh you know the, the straps on the dra- on the blue dress, blue and white dress. Exactly. Um the the, the guy with the long hair, well any hair. Uh, and then the, the, the blue dove on the forehead, exactly the same. And then of course, Dr. Severin, Dr. Severin is the middle guy. Um, we you know that's bald. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they obviously drew them exactly the same to be part of the joke and for you to recognize who they are as quickly as practical. But this is like, what is it? hundred years in the future, past right. pause. Right. So these people can't be alive. Um, now, mind you, uh, Gary's, uh, not Gary, <laughs> Dr. Severin uh, is an alien, right? So who knows how long they live. But the other two people, because they're all different species, the other two people, you know, look human. And they never said they were aliens, so I figured they're humans. So are they saying that these are the same space aliens that live for, you know, 100 years? Uh, probably not. I'm probably overthinking this.
0: Yeah, they must be taking some new age medicine or something. That maybe, some
1: maybe medicine. That's it, medicine. They are hippies. They're taking yeah. medicine. Medicine. Week, exactly. Week. There
0: you go. Herbal medicine. There yeah. you go.
1: And another thing is, doesn't slang kind of change over time, typically? So they're still a hundred years later. They're still using the word Herbert yeah, for people. It's, it's funny. Yeah, instead of squares or whatever that the hippies used to call other people. Right. Yeah. Square. There you go. Squares. Anybody,
0: anybody, anybody in a position of authority are, yep. are Herberts. Uh, um, now the species I wasn't familiar with because the Herberts I got right away or okay. whatever they're called. But what about the other one? I I had to actually look that one up because uh, he did not rec- he did not register anything with me. I, I don't I don't recognize those at all either. Yeah. So, so they you you looked them up. Yeah. Okay. So the Satarans, they mm-hmm. were in one episode of uh, the Next Generation, and okay. they were like they did kind of look like that. They were kind of like zombie looking. Okay. But in that episode, they were uh, pretending to be a, a Starfleet officer. That remember that episode where there's suddenly a different first officer? Spot, uh, Riker wasn't first officer anymore, and it was just. They were just playing it up like this is how it's always been, and then come to find out it was uh, an alien in disguise that was like testing them or whatever. Do you remember that episode? I think it's called uh, Conundrum. Hmm. I don't. I don't recall it. So they were advanced enough to replace Riker. No, Riker was there. He just wasn't first officer. He he was. He had another rank. I mean, he still sat at the bridge. I mean, he still sat at the, the bridge. It was, but it was this other guy, um, Macduff was Mac was the commander. Okay, so how did Mac, So how did Macduff
1: get on the on the bridge or on the Enterprise? How did Riker get into a different uniform? It it was uh, all brainwashing. Okay, okay, it's all brainwashing. So these people that have ships that doesn't have good enough weapons to even scratch the Cerritos. <laughs>
0: Were able right.
1: to insert themselves onto the Enterprise D. Yep.
0: Yep. Huh. And brainwash the whole crew into thinking that uh, their adventures have been completely different with Riker as in a different role. Huh. Okay. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of a throwaway episode. You don't really ever think about these guys right. anymore. So yeah. again, it's kind of cool that they brought them in. But yeah, um, that's okay. really all I know about them. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. And you don't get to see them in their, their uh, uncloaked form very much. So that's why when I saw this guy, he did not, he did not click any bells for me. <sighs> okay.
1: So they, did, they lifted him, but it really isn't a good fit, it no, sounds like. It's just, okay. uh, it's just a fan service called That's by. fine. Speaking of something else that's not a good fit, when I looked up uh, Dr. Severin, when I was looking up all the Space Hippie stuff, Uh, And, of course, Way to Eden. The Way to Eden is the name of the Taws episode. Uh, Written by D.C. Fontana. Can you believe that? She wrote this. (sighs) Yep. Anyway. uh, And she's done so so much other good things. And, of course, she was originally a a script editor or something for Roddenberry. Or an assistant for Roddenberry. Then she became a script editor. And then she wrote some something like that. Anyway. And she wrote The Enterprise Incident. Which is the only good episode in Season 3. Anyway. So she wrote the, uh, that one, but the guy that played um, the lead space hippie, um, and I do like the the, the little commentary uh, joke that said something about uh, actually we just call
0: them hippies, not space right. hippies. Oh, because because it's like it, it's redundant. When exactly, you're in space they call something space something. Exactly, right.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the guy that played Dr. Severin also played um, a Nazi. So he played Melikon, who was the deputy f- furor on planet Ecos in the uh, Nazi Taz episode, Patterns of Force. Right. So it's like, how wacky. So we got, got this actor who they have to play <laughs> a Nazi... And then they say, you know, this is like season two, or I think it was a season two episode. Uh, And then they say, you know, we got to cast a space hippie. Mm, How about that Nazi guy? That guy that played the Nazi. It's like just really weird. But I guess it shows the range of the actor. Um, He's an actor. He's an actor. Yes. Um, And another one that demonstrated range is the guy that played the long-haired hippie. Is um Charles Napier. So the actor Charles Napier is on here playing a space hippie and singing and kind of doing a the doors kind of thing. Um and that guy has been in tons and tons of things, but he's always typecast as like a military cop or something like that. You know, a tough guy kind of thing. So he was in Silence of the Lambs and played Lieutenant Boyle, who I guess he was a cop. He was in the Night Stalker, one of my favorite films or TV shows of all time, or TV movies of all time, and he played Sergeant J.J. Stryker, and he was in Rambo II as Murdoch, and he was in Austin Powers One as Commander Gilmore, and in Austin Powers Two as General Hawk, and the list goes on. Hmm. So this guy who was typecast as one thing was in, back in 1968, I guess-ish. Uh, Played a space hippie singing a, a song, again a
0: demonstration of acting range. Hmm. That's funny. I, I, I would. I just looked him up. What he looked like older, and I'm like, yeah, yeah I've seen that guy in tons of stuff. Yeah, exactly. He's all um, over the place. He's one of yeah. those stock actors they in play. They insert in
1: in many things. So the last thing I really have to. Well, I guess I have a little bit more to say. So why why is Rutherford not there? Did they explain that?
0: Yeah, he's. Not the issue at all, is he? Yeah,
1: it, the engineer guy, Rutherford, with the cyborg implant. It's like, why, why, why isn't he in it?
0: Is he going to be an issue too? He's working. Yeah, I guess he, so. he, he's so. doing another movie. <laughs> oh yeah, good point. I thought I didn't even on. realize he was gone. That's sad.
1: Yeah. Um. So I assume he's going to be introduced eventually. Uh, and I do like, at the end, after the story's done, the first... So they got a ton of pages at the end that has, like, bonus material. I guess you can call it that. So the first page, after the, the end of the, of this this particular issue's story, they have a really cool one-page uh, drawing of Boimler, uh, kind of as a vampire with the Dracula cape and everything. And he's sitting... On the at the con, and he's got blood coming down, and he's looking like, hey, I'm pretty cool, and I'm ready for uh, round two. And then uh, pretty much every all the characters, including Rutherford, are are dead at his feet on the deck, uh, with you know neck bites and blood trickling down, and they're all dead with their eyes open.
0: Um, yeah, so and I, I, I kind of like. And that. they're in black and white, with the exception of where the, of the blood mics are. Exactly. I, I thought that was pretty cool. I like that. Green. I like that drawing. Yeah, that's the cover of issue two. Oh, is that cover of issue two? Yes. Okay. So you'll like it again when we get to that issue when it comes out.
1: Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, it didn't say anything about it being the cover, but I do like the drawing, and I'm glad it isn't just a, an extra throwaway at the end of the first issue.
0: Yeah. So can I point out a couple things I didn't care for? Please, because I'm done with my comments. Yeah, so uh, I did not really like. I mean, I know that there's the joke about um, the uh, the commander being all a fitness buff, but him doing crunches and stuff on a exercise ball while he's uh, chewing out out, mariner, chewing out mariner. I thought that was a little little silly. Yeah, a little silly. Well, he was and not fun. Yeah.
1: I mean, wasn't he doing workouts while they were trying to get some some repair work done on the ship? Right, right. He yeah, and Mariner.
0: He, yeah, he's always doing working out and stuff, but yeah. but just the whole exercise ball, and then he starts doing crunches. It's just like, all right, now you're getting too No, <laughs> You're supposed to be standing there yelling at her. Exactly. He's a multitasker. Yeah, he definitely is. He's, yeah. he's got to get that body in shape. And then the uh, the last thing I really didn't care for, I mean, every once in a while it kind of like induced a chuckle, but I think they overdid it with the little commentary at the bottom of the page. Because mm-hmm. it always kind of like broke, broke the fourth wall and it was just like, you know, just like, hey, I bet you didn't see this coming. Or, hey, uh, we promised that the uh, Dracula story is not going to interfere with the A story. And then later when it does, they're like, eh, maybe it will be, who knows? You know, it's just like, <laughs> some of it was kind of funny and then other times it was just distracting because it kind of took you out of what's going on. Yeah. Um, And then after the, uh, the cover montage at the end, they do have a couple of uh, more pages and it's kind of more of the same with the little captions. Mm -hmm. So maybe, uh, Maybe Badgie, who, you know, this is called Badgie Explains It All at hmm. the end of the book. Uh, maybe that was supposed to be Badgie throughout the uh, throughout the issue, giving the, the little footnotes at the end. But uh, it really reminded me of uh, Trek Culture does a uh, uh, ups and downs for each issue that mm-hmm. comes out on, yep. on YouTube. Yep. And so Badgie basically is over here doing uh, dissertation observations for Trek Central by pointing out each page, which uh, which uh, reference to the old shows they're they're making references to. So again, I thought it was kind of funny, you know, especially if you weren't that familiar with uh, Star Trek and, and you wanted to go back and see what they were making fun of. Mm-hmm. But uh, but then but then yeah, I was just like, I don't know the the little commentary throughout the thing, you know that that might have been some of the funniest parts, but also it was kind of like a little distracting to what was going on story wise. I right. thought. Maybe rein it in a little bit. But Keep yeah. it in there because it was funny, but it also doesn't really fit. I mean, there's nothing like that in the store in the episodes. No, they don't have a narrator or anything in, in no. the actual episodes. No, because but... I mean, it even talks about like the font of the uh, the the you know the sound effects fonts, and mm-hmm. then also like when the door chimes, they just play musical. They just have musical notes written on the uh, the artwork, and then at the bottom it says. Uh, We checked with a musician, and these are the actual notes of the door chime. You know, so it's just like, hey, it's kind of funny, but do we need it? I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, like we said at the beginning, they're experimenting with adapting this unusual Star Trek TV series to a comic
0: book. So
1: I guess this is part of their experimentation.
0: Right. And again, I liked it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I... what what they did with the bottom, I did like, but it was just kind of distracting. I thought it maybe it would have been better if it was all at the end with that badge. He explains it. all. Or
1: maybe you should do what I did, which is pretty much ignore them <laughs> or read the story and then come back a second time and, and then see the commentary.
0: I've been conditioned with footnotes that you have to read the footnotes to know what <laughs> issue they're referencing, you know, with all the start- – But they're not uh, – foot- the- are, are these footnotes? I guess they're like footnotes. They're kind of like – I mean, that's what I thought they were at first. And I mean, then foot- I was like, oh, wait, now they're just making jokes.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so footnotes normally give you the references. Right. Or further explain something. And this is heavily heavy on the further explaining. And let's try to be funny.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, overall, I enjoyed it. Looking forward to the next issue. And – uh I hope they, I hope a Cerritos, or not a Cerritos, a, a Prodigy book comes out after this. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Um,
1: I do like Prodigy more than Lower Decks, uh, so Ouch. it'd be good to see that. Um, now, if, if I was going to be spending, well, I am, If if I was a kid or... Whatever. It, this would not be my first choice on Star Trek material to be buying.
0: Right. I get it. If you were a kid with limited limited allowance money.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Wouldn't necessarily be diving into uh, these books as compared to, well, certainly what we're going to do next. Issue 400? Exactly. Hmm. Is that a segue? All
0: right. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and get into it? Let's do it. All right. So buckle up, because there's a lot of uh, stuff here at the beginning. Um, and then what we'll do is there's there's basically six stories, so we'll review the story and then do our chit-chat and then go to the next one. Some of them are long, some of them are short. Uh, some of them really are only one page long, so it's kind of all over the place. All right, so Star Trek 400 came out September 2022. I'll go into the writing staff of each one individually, but overall, the edits were by Heather Antos and editorial assist by Vanessa Rial and the designs and production by Neil Utaki. And there is a ton of covers. They they went all out. So I'm going to just give you high level who, who did it and what it looks like. So there's the uh, J.K. Woodward cover, which has a big 400 in the middle of the page. And inside the numbers is... Headshots of all the crews and stuff of various Star Trek franchises. Um, some completely unique to just uh, J.K. Woodward's other work, but some of them are, you know, I don't think he's ever done a Discovery or a, a Kelvin story, and they're all represented here as well.
1: This is my favorite cover.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool cover. Yeah. And then above the 400, we see the original Enterprise plus Voyager, Discovery the kelvin enterprise and the enterprise d all right so the next cover is by louis de martinez and it's kind of a wraparound cover and it again is just kind of a collage of different actors who have been in star trek i didn't see anybody from discovery on these pages but they do have strange new worlds represented oh no there's discovery there's burnham and q for some reason so q's a- pretty big on on one side of the page and then everybody else is just regulars from the show Uh, no enterprise representation here unfortunately but since this is the 400th issue of a comic of the 400th comic book issue and and enterprise has never been represented kind of understand why they didn't show up all right so the next cover is by uh, megan levins and charlie churkoff and it's the uh, spock cover So we get uh, Leonard Nimoy Spock, plus uh, both old and young Leonard Nimoy Spock, and then the two other Spocks uh, from Strange New Worlds and uh, the Kilvin Universe. The last, uh, maybe it's not the last one. Again, there's so many. The next one is by Angel Hernandez and J.D. Mittler, and it's kind of a cartoony look of different people from Star Trek. Very much in the um, Starfleeter design from that uh, one issue of Discovery that we did last week or a couple weeks ago with Dettner's Starfleeter persona. So uh, the next one is by Marcus II and Fran Gamboa, and it shows just ships. So we get the Enterprise-D, a Borg ship, a Romulan ship, the jellyfish from the Kelvin universe, and the original enterprise Uh, The next one is a uh, half black and white, half painted version of the J.K. Woodward cover. Yet another cover by Chris Finoligo, and it is in the lower deck style, and it just shows a whole bunch of people from the Star Trek universe, including Badgie himself, at the um, Quark's bar with with the... uh, Admiral Picard day banner from that next generation episode. And I think that's it. I think we finally got through the covers. So your favorite is the JK Woodward?
1: Yes. Ooh. Now that yeah, Angel think- that Angel Hernandez one, that shows all the little little kid looking ones. Yeah, really cute. It is cute, but I uh, Okay, so there's two Kirk's yeah, I love Like that. in the middle? The Pine Kirk
0: and the so Shatner Kirk. The,
1: so the Pine Kirk, I could tell right away that's Pine Kirk. But the Shatner Kirk that's in the very middle, that is the Shatner Kirk in the very middle, right? That's yep. supposed to be him, right?
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be him. I
1: don't think it looks like Shatner.
0: No.
1: And I was thrown off by that. <laughs> Everybody else is pretty good. Saru looks like Saru, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Picard, good. Um, uh, Burnham, fine. Data, Yes. Uh, But that Kirk in the middle, mm, he looks a little like Shatner, but not that much.
0: Yeah, That's all I wanted to say. Okay. All right. So the first story is called Captain's Log. It is written by Chris Elipeluis. Probably butchered that name, I'm sure. Art by Luke Sparrow. Colors by DC Alonzo. And letters by Jake Wood. So this is a Taz story. So we, the reader, are privy to listening to a captain's log. And this is the final log. This is the final day. This is the captain's final day aboard the Enterprise A. And so while the captain's recording his log, he's thinking about the many years and adventures he's had aboard the ship along the way. And so we get lots of flashes uh, of some original series episodes and even some glimpses into the movies. Uh, only the first through fourth movie is represented. There's no there's no uh, scr- there's no visual representation of Star Trek five or Star Trek six, which I thought was a little sad because I wanted to see, you know, the Enterprise going against God. That's one of my favorites, sarcastically saying uh, the The captain then thinks back about the uh, great success they've had and attributes to the diversity of the crew and pointing out how each member of the bridge represents a specific attribute. And the attributes go as Kirk being for leadership, Spock logic, McCoy humanity, Scotty miracle working, Sulu piloting, Uhura listening, and Chekhov being believing in yourself. Which I thought was a little funny. Uh, So after this, there's a uh, more some after a brief thought about what makes a good captain, the recording captions, the recording captain's log pauses in order for some actual story dialogue to take place. So Kirk and the bridge crew are all standing on the bridge looking at the main screen. And on the main screen, we see Sulu aboard the USS Excelsior. Uh, Kirk wishes him well on his newly commissioned command of the Excelsior. Sulu orders a course to the Beta Quadrant, and the Excelsior is off on her first adventure. Sulu then finishes his captain's log, stating that he has a lot to live up to. The end. So what did you think of this one?
1: It was fine. It was good. I've seen this kind of thing so many times. So, uh, Kirk left the Enterprise twice, right? At the end of the five-year mission, and then again at the end of, well, I guess his career. Right. We've seen year five in a couple different incarnations. Mm-hmm. And Kirk thinking about uh, all the the stuff when he, you know, when he finally has to leave his gal, the Enterprise, and all that kind of stuff. So, we've seen this this kind of thing multiple times. So... I didn't have a long longing for something like this because I've just seen this before, but uh, it was fine. It was a it was another look back, which was fine. I think the artwork. Well, let's go
0: back. Let's go back to. Hold on one second. So, what about the twist that it wasn't Kirk's log that you were listening to the whole time? It was Zulu's. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, so the whole time you're reading, I I, I thought it. I thought it was a transition. From no, Kirk doing it
1: into Sulu, kind of like passing the torch.
0: No, uh, I, th- I think, think it was... That Sulu
1: continues on having adventures.
0: Yeah, because, after Kirk but think it. about it, when it ends with Sulu leaving, mm-hmm. and then he finishes the log, yeah. and saying, I have a lot to live up to, uh, which makes sense why Star Trek 6 isn't representative in the flashbacks, is because Sulu went off to do Excelsior things before star trek six yeah so it the whole time it's been sulu giving the the captain's log where you automatically just assume that it's kirk i I thought that was really cool
1: yeah it's cool and i had did not get that at all from it
0: yeah so i'm with you beginning part i'm like yeah we've seen kirk reminiscing on his his departure before because i thought it was taking place at the end of star trek six when they're Coming in and and the signatures start showing up on the screen. I was like, okay, this takes place right after that. Mm -hmm. Nope, going to find out. It takes place between five and six, which I thought was kind of a cool little, little misdirect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. I mean, especially since for the first six pages of this or whatever, Kirk's in the middle of everything. Kirk, 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 Kirk. Old Kirk, young Kirk, laughing Kirk, pointing Kirk. And then we get something where it goes around to the crew. Great. And there's there's Sulu, piloting skills. Yeah. And then Kirk, 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 and then and then there's Kirk and Sulu. So there's another panel with Kirk and Sulu. That's cool. And then Kirk, and then Kirk, and then Kirk, Enterprise, <laughs> surrounded by by D7s, and then some aliens. Kirk. Uh, well, Kirk in the back and everybody by the whale. Then uh, Kirk and everybody. Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah. Kirk. Again, that, that's why Kirk. I think that Kirk
0: Kirk. you're supposed to think that it's Kirk. Yeah. But it's really Sulu the whole cool. time.
1: Cool. Okay. Yeah, I didn't so, get that at all. Yeah. I, I Again, I'll say, I saw it as being Kirk's, and then he's transitioning over, handing the, the, the baton over to, uh, to Sulu. But yeah. that's the way I see it. But uh,
0: you could be right. Oh, I know I am. Okay. Well, good for you. <laughs> no, it, I, again, I mean because it's not Kirk's last day on the Enterprise, and it is Sulu's last day. So that's that's uh, where I come from. Right. And the font and everything's the same, and yeah. then he says in Captain's log. Right. But this time he says in Captain Sulu's log, and then that's when you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I didn't. It's been Sulu. The I didn't whole say that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so the artwork, you uh, yes, the liked artwork. it or not
1: liked? So the artwork was fine. It's just that it didn't frequently... It, I mean, at times it was it was accurate to the original actors. At other times it was not. Right. I think especially in the first two panels that show Kirk uh, at the end of Star Trek Six, and then theoretically at the end of uh, the five-year mission, he looked more like, well... The second one, where he's in the in in the Taws uniform, he looks like Superman.
0: <laughs>
1: he's got a huge square jaw, and he's got the little tuft of hair coming down, and he's he's he almost has a little cleft in the chin, which Shatner never had, and he just looks like Superman to me. And then and then the upper one, he just looks like some random chunky big guy
0: with dark hair, right. Yeah, I didn't think that the uh, character designs was all that great throughout the whole story. Yeah, um, I mean McCoy when he shows up looks nothing like before. True. Um, I mean, so I mean Spock kind of looks like Spock, but mm-hmm. the, usually artists can get him right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, the, but, everybody's uh, kind of idealized as uh, right. some big muscular thing. I mean, look at Scotty. There's the thing with Scotty. Scotty has no neck, but he's like he looks like he's a just a brick wall linebacker or something
0: right anyway. but uh in contrast the space shots oh they're so beautiful yeah the uh the enterprise shots and veger shots and uh um you know the just the space station and stuff man they look good i really like those shots it's just the people part i thought eh, maybe not yeah. quite right
1: i agree with you the last shot of excelsior moving away into the the sun or into the future or whatever. I thought that looked great. Yes, the butt, the, the, the butt end of Excelsior looked pretty good. <laughs> and then you had mentioned the idea of comparing the Constitution class and the Excelsior class, the big difference in size. That was a cool panel. And boy, you're right. That is a huge difference.
0: Yeah, I had no idea that it I was mean, I, supposed I, to be that much bigger. I, I knew the Excelsior
1: was big and they made comments about that. I mean, didn't didn't McCoy say something in the Star Trek Three about... That's a big ship. But, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The way they've drawn this, I mean, it's even bigger than I thought. I agree right. with you.
0: Yeah, so it looks like the whole Enterprise could fit in just the... Um, saucer section? Just, well, yeah, even, even more. I think it could fit in just the engineering section. And the saucer uh, section is even bigger yeah, than well, that. Well, if you include the neck. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, so, yeah, ship that big can be piloted. And controlled by four people Whew, that's pretty impressive
1: Uh, What, the Excelsior?
0: Yeah, the Excelsior Don't they steal the Excelsior? Oh, no, no no. They don't steal the the Excelsior. They steal the Enterprise Yeah, that's right
1: But whether it's a a big ship like that Or a Constitution class I mean, either one would be difficult To to manage the whole thing If you didn't have a Miracle
0: Worker Which they do Which they do Very handy so, what do you think of the little attributes? When I was reading it, thinking that it was Sulu, when he says, you know, leadership, and he, he's referring to Kirk, I was sure. like, boy, that's conceited, Kirk. And <laughs> uh, now that I know that it's supposed to be Sulu, I'm like, oh, okay.
1: Well, but, I mean, what's, what are you going to say about the captain? I mean, right. what's the main thing he has to, he has to be able to do? Uh, leadership. <laughs> now, uh, and then, of course, Sulu piloting skills. Well, that's obvious.
0: That was his uh, job.
1: And, and I guess he's, he's being modest. Sure. And just saying, hey, you know that's my job, I, and then when he, <laughs> and then, so everything everything kind of makes sense, uh, and then Chekhov,
0: yeah, believing in ourselves,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was like he was given the participation award of the uh, of the crew. Anyway,
0: uh, that's funny. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah,
1: and look at him; he, he's not even happy about apparently Sulu said about him. No. Nope. Like, you like, know, oh, believe in ourselves? That's what you said about me?
0: Uh. Anyway. All the things. I did like all the little captions uh, and all these little flashbacks when it showed Kirk fighting the Gorn and, uh-huh. uh, you know, the Spock dying. Um, yeah. It always had a little little blurb about which episode or movie that came from. Yeah. I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah. I think the picture of, what was the Klingon in Star Trek III? Uh, Kang? Not Reverend Jim. Wasn't it Kang? Was Kang. Kang? Kang. Kang? I I think think, Kang. I don't think it's Kang. I do think Kang. It wasn't Kang and Day of the Dove and. Um, well, whatever. Whatever his name whatever. is. I think the drawing of Christopher. I mean, not Leonard Nimoy. Christopher. Uh, Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, I think the drawing of, of Christopher Lloyd as, as the Klingon, whatever the Klingon's name was, and his left lip kind of raised. I find it a little weird, but I like it. <laughs> it, it 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 just looks like like it's just very unnatural. Right, the, the shape of the mouth but
0: right I, I no like I agree it's a, I like it. it's very cartoony yeah and then the way they did con they didn't even like draw his hair so it's just like this big mass of yellow without any real definition <laughs> yeah I, I don't know I think some of those some of those lines should have been a little darker to make it look like hair instead of just yellow fuzz <laughs> I mean the lines are there they're just a different color so it's just bleeds into the yellow. Right. Anyways, and I like seeing Mark Leonard as the first Romulan we see. Mm-hmm. You know, where if somebody yeah. was reading this, they're like, why is it saying, why is Spock's dad there?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it was interesting seeing
1: who they picked of all the Klingons and who they picked of all the Romulans to represent the race.
0: Right. Yeah, I would have thought maybe the, that Romulan commander from uh, the Enterprise incident. Oh, the, the lady? Yeah.
1: Well that would be an inclusive one, but come on. I mean, Mark Leonard Yeah, no, he's the definitive. It, it, that's pretty definitive. Fir- first look at the Romulans. Yeah. But but they didn't do that. I mean, wouldn't you think um uh what what's the one that was in Errand of Mercy? The guy that popped up all the time, uh, the Klingon? Um Core? Kor? Oh right, right. I mean wouldn't you think Kor? He's the quintessential Klingon to me. But they Well they had Mark- I think
0: they were just trying to represent Every movie up to up to five, uh, not 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 including five, but up okay, to five. and TV series, right, right, and they didn't want to, uh, you know, what I, else? I get it. What I else would it. they have done with 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 the uh, part three, part three? Yeah, okay, Genesis Planet. <laughs> anyway, so
1: I did like it. The artwork is maybe a little surprising, but I still liked it. Uh, ships look great. And we got, we got more things to go over. So that's right. all I have to say.
0: Yeah, as far as artwork goes, um, I do like that this book, this story. Every story, completely different art style. So it's yeah. kind of cool to see different takes of it. Well, different writers, uh, yep. different creative teams. Yes, I agree. But vastly different art styles. It's mm-hmm. not. I mean, no. you you turn the page and it's vastly different. Yep. Anyways, let's let's soldier on, shall we? Let's. All right. So the next story is called Soldier On. Ironically enough. It is written by Declan Shalvey, art by Seth Damus, colors by DC Alanzio, letters by Neil Utaki. So this is an O'Brien story. So it starts off with the USS Rutledge in orbit of a colony planet on Setlink Three. O'Brien is down on the planet and he is doing some minor maintenance in the colony when he catches a Cardassian trying to send out a communication at one of the colony's terminals. And this is during the time when the Cardassians and the humans or the Federation are at war. So O'Brien takes the possible spy and they go up to the bridge. There, Captain Maxwell shows up, and he's the captain of the, the Rutledge. Uh, he was in one episode of the original's Next Generation series. He's there. He orders O'Brien to get the colonies brig up the snuff and then they will leave aboard the Rutledge as soon as possible because they have more pressing items to take care of during the war. So once the captain leaves, the Cardassian spy then opens up and he states that he was only trying to send a message in order to get off this rock and away from the war. Before he can give any more detail, he starts writhing in pain and then he disintegrates in a wash of green energy. When Maxwell is informed, Maxwell actually seems kind of grateful that they can now leave on to their next mission and possible battle against the Spoonhead Cardassians, as he calls them. Meanwhile, on a Cardassian ship on the dark side of the moon... A soldier named Elum informs the commander that he is taking care of the captured spy. So he obviously caused him to disintegrate. He informs the captain that they did capture a good amount of information from the Federation, and that confirmed that the Rutledge was not supplying the colony with any type of secret weapons. The commander then says that they will go ahead and continue with the attack on the colony as soon as the Federation ship leaves. When Elam starts to protest this, that there's no reason, he is then cut off by the commander and accused of being disloyal. Elam, who his full name is Elam Garrick, quickly changes his tune and starts the preparations for the oncoming invasion. The end. Yeah,
1: at first reading, when I saw the two Cardassians at the end, I said, oh. That looks like Garak. And then Garrick had like a boss slash mentor slash the head of the Obsidian Order. Right. Um, and that looks like him too, kind of, kind of. But that really does look like Garak. But Elam, what, what? And then, of course, I did some research, some some searches and found out. I didn't know Garrick's first name was Elam.
0: Right. But right. apparently it is. It is. So, yeah, the artwork is really kind of all out there. Um, I did not think the guy looked at like Garrick at all. Um, so if you mm. thought he did, that's great. But it was the name that kind of caught me. And I was like, yeah. I guess it's him. But, uh, but I mean, but basically the way he acted very Garrick. like yes. he was like yep. telling him how he really thinks. And then as soon as somebody pushes on it, Oh no, no, of course let's get, let's kill them all. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> covering his own butt. And also Garrick had, uh, a kind of
1: a unique relationship with uh with Tain. A and, and Nabron Tain. Well, oh, that his was name. his
0: former mentor.
1: Right. Yeah. And uh, I think Paul Dooley was the actor. So I mean I went and grabbed photos and things off the web and said, Oh yeah, okay. So I you know, he's he's got like no neck, big you know, big heavy thick mm. neck, which yeah. is definitely the way this guy is drawn. Right. Um but something that confused me was his boss's name was definitely Enabrantain, T A I N, okay. but when Garak, I think it's Garak, refers to the guy that had to be killed, that was captured, yeah, Garak referred to that guy as Tain, T A I N, same spelling, hmm. so I was cons- I was confused, so it's like, am I? Let me go back. That uh, So that boss's name is Tane, right? And that's, according to Memory Alpha, it's Tane. Anabron Tane. But then this other guy who's killed, his name is Tane, too. It's like, I mean, is that just coincidence? Is he a relative? It
0: certainly didn't seem like it. Anyway, it just threw me off a bit. Hmm. I did not catch that, but... yeah. I mean, it could be, I mean, it could be that this guy used to be Garrick's boss and was trying to defect. I mean, maybe what he was trying to tell O'Brien was the truth. Or is Tane, oh, Tane don't. shows up later, so he can't He be shows up later. So, yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. He's at the, he's at the end with
1: Garrick. Right.
0: So, never
1: mind. So, I, I was thrown off. Um, it, overall, I like this story. And uh, even though the artwork is kind of wackadoodle, I, I, I kind of like it. Yeah. It's, it works for me, but one thing that really bugs me is, near the very end of the story, I think it might be the last one, uh, last last frame, it shows the Rutledge, and it shows what, at least it, I think it's a ship, the, the brown thing, is that a Cardassian ship? Right, yeah, the one behind the moon. Exactly. Uh is that supposed to be behind the moon? Is that how they're? I mean, yeah. I, I I'm just very surprised that in wartime and your family's on this planet and you can't spot that ship. It's
0: you highly, have no highly. clue
1: it's out there. And and yeah. Kardashians don't have cloaking devices, do they? No. Okay. So I don't know. It just I mean, they it almost I mean the way they have this drawn. I mean, good point about it maybe being hiding behind the moon, but I mean, if you know it couldn't be a long range transmission, wouldn't you do everything possible to make sure there's not another ship in the area? Right. Especially if the captain's family is on the planet.
0: Yeah, so you'd put some sensors or something on the moon. You'd be doing yeah, something. To cover that blind spot. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. good point. That that kinda of threw me off. Um, but yeah, the the artwork is, is again, I liked it. It's very different, not very what different. I'm used to. Um but I mean, like when when Tane or whatever his name is, the the prisoners being killed, killed. Oh my goodness! You that's see great. The, the anger or the the pain in that guy's exact.
1: It looked. It just was gruesome. I right. mean, and painful. I mean, there's blood coming out of his mouth, and and he's got that look on his face, and then all of his crooked teeth are kind of like going. Ah! Yeah, that, that's great. I love that. Nicely drawn.
0: But then I thought the the Starfleet crew and stuff when they're just like walking around, they're mm. they're all very. Short and very cartoony, like like you would be in like Mickey Mouse or something. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, a little ill-proportioned. Yeah. but again, I didn't dislike it. It's just it's different. just different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I
1: like how they presented the Rutledge as a New Orleans class ship because you don't see those very often. Right. I think the first time this came up, O'Brien's backstory about all this, his time on the Rutledge and and Captain whatever the captain's name was. Right. Um, Maxwell. Maxwell, that's it. Came up in the TNG episode, The Wounded. And I don't remember them ever actually bothering mentioning what kind of ship the the Rutledge was. Um, And uh, because the only other time I had seen a New Orleans class that I can recall on the TV shows or anything was, you know, it was basically floating debris at Wolf 359. Right. so actually seeing it pop up like this, I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so, no, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it, it was a, it was a cool choice um, because I, I I think that's establishing a new piece of information. So,
0: anyway. so
1: they didn't show the Rutledge in that episode. It's been a long time since I've seen the episode, but I mean, it's all they're all talking about it. I mean, they weren't experiencing that. This is the past, right? Right. So. But yeah, I, you're right. I had Who gone knows? to I'd gone to Memory Alpha, and was kind of scanning through because they had a summary of the episode, and it was sure. pretty detailed. I'm kind of surprised, but oh, um, man. they're really good. Yeah, and it seemed like it was mostly conversations, right? You know, okay. where, where Picard is asking O'Brien about Maxwell and right. would he do something like this, and and it was mostly O'Brien. Describing what happened in the past, I, I, I don't think they showed as much as uh, much in the way of uh, actually visuals. Right. Right. Anyway. Okay. All right. Anything else? One last thing is when they showed Tane behind in in the brig, it looked to me like the force field was up. Yeah. Yeah. So but, what is O'Brien oh, trying to fix? Exactly. So I thought he was fixing. <laughs> you know the the containment force field, whatever. But it right. looks like it was there. I mean, because every because you can see he's different. He, he's kind of like a a light brown color, and everything in the brig where where the Cardassian is standing is this light brown color, giving you the impression that there's something in the way between uh, O'Brien and the other guy and the and the spy.
0: Anyway. Yeah, exactly. That was. No, just I, I thought the same thing because. Yeah, basically Maxwell orders him to fix the brig, and then they're going to leave, and then I was unclear as to what needed to be fixed, too. Right.
1: And maybe it wasn't just full—maybe it was, like, low power or something. They needed to get it
0: better. I don't right. know. But I don't know. Obviously, it wasn't uh, strong enough to keep him from being disintegrated by Garrick outside <laughs> the colony. Yeah. How,
1: okay, so he must—now, even though Garrick was carrying some kind of device or something, did— did the spy have something in him, like a bomb in his chest, like like a cyanide pill, but instead of being in your tooth and a fake tooth, they yes. put it in your body? So
0: you just blow up or something?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, because otherwise, how could he do it? I mean So
0: was he on the other side of that brig wall somehow? Yeah, well, I mean uh, it showed him, it shows, it looks like he's on the other side of it looks like he's on the outside of the, the colony on a little mountain or a little hill. Yeah, it's not clear. Okay,
1: just just kind
0: of wondering. Anyway, that's it. All right, shall we go on? Please. All right, so the next one is entitled Meanwhile. It is written by Mike Johnson, art by Angel Hernandez, colors by Steve Della Sala, letters by Neil Yutaki. So this is a long one, so get prepared. So Scotty, this is actually the uh, Simon Pegg version of Scotty is taking a little nap aboard the under construction enterprise a he wakes up long enough to give keenzer a hard time about slacking off and even kind of suggests that keenzer himself is the reason for the long delay between star trek movies wink wink and then uh, scotty then falls back to sleep and keenzer looks at the reader and makes the noise hrumpf the end
1: Okay, I do kinda like your point about <laughs> on the surface it sounds like he's commenting how long it's taken to get the Enterprise A up to snuff. Right. But right. really really is kind of a sideways commentary on the next movie. Which right. by the way I hear is off again. Yeah, but, it's off again. Oh my god, these uh, paramount. <laughs> anyway, so I thought this was an okay little story especially with that little point you made which I didn't I didn't really see that as the movie but you're right I think that's what they meant to say Right. and I just didn't get it but I don't like it because they're basically insinuating at least in the JJ verse Scotty's knack for completing huge repair jobs incredibly fast dependent i dependent mean, on Keenzer well okay so the I I like the idea that Scotty can get everything done faster than he says because he's got Keenzer to work with. So there's two people bearing the load. I like yeah. that. But this story's insinuating that Kinzer's doing all the work. And Scotty's just a lazy slug.
0: Yeah. I think I, and and all
1: of that for a little joke. <laughs> and it's like, I don't like that. I like Scotty. Scotty's a hard worker. All huh? right. I mean, he figured out... He was working on the uh, the transwarp beaming or whatever the hell that was. Yeah. yeah and right. and he, you know he was on his way to get to where Spock already knew how to do it
0: uh so i don't know yeah i mean i was really happy to see keenzer and and when i was kind of thumbing through the book before i actually read it Mm -hmm. i got excited oh cool a a kelvin story Mm -hmm. i've kind of missed those and then it's just one page so i was very disappointed yeah but it ends with stay tuned instead of the end or to be continued so maybe idw is going to come out with another kelvin story i hope so well, who knows But again yeah. When I read this Star Trek 4 was still on Yeah <laughs> And so I wrote the synopsis Based on What was going on In the real world At the time And mm-hmm. then You know That was only Five days ago And now we know Oh it's off again So then it's just like Oh it's, My synopsis did not age well <laughs> <laughs> Uh mm. So, yeah, I hope that they do something movie-wise. Well,
1: it's a good thing we have Star Trek on TV. That's all I got to say. And a lot of it. but plenty of it. They don't seem to be taking this, the movie seriously. Right. Which is unfortunate. And I saw something, somebody conjecturing about the next movie is going to be a recasted next-gen right, movie. Right. Uh, so- and so- it's like, <sighs>
0: <yeah>.
1: <sighs> <sighs> really? It's yeah, like, let's not I rush into either. that, shall we? I right. think there's more stories that can be told with Kelvin Universe, Taw's
0: team. Yeah. Right. Instead of just jumping into the Kelvin Next, Kelvin next Generation timeline. Right. right, I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah. But they could do anything. Yep. You could make any story. It doesn't have to be recasting what we already know. Well, f- one of the previously gestating
1: projects was being done by... Uh, the, 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 well, I wasn't even thinking about that one, but that's yeah. yet another one. But but the thing is that that was supposed to be with the Taz team. Uh, you know, Taz characters in some way, shape, or form. But the guy who did the TV version of Fargo um, okay. and did Legend or Legion, sorry, Legion, on TV, I forgot his name, but he's really good. And he was writing... He, he was the guy, supposedly, for a while, uh, you know, developing the next Star Trek movie. And and they didn't say much about what it was about, but his idea was a totally different crew. Totally different ship. Good. Which I thought that would be great. But they killed it. Mm. Sorry, this isn't quite going in the direction we like. Bye. Of course, I mean, I'm sure they paid him quite well for what he did, you yeah, know, right. as far as he got the script.
0: But anyway. Should we move on? Please, let's do it. All right, so the next one is entitled A Matter of Choice. And this is written by somebody I've never heard of before called Will Wheaton. The art is by Joe Esma, colors by D.C. Alonzio, and letters by Nathan Wittick. It being written by Will Wheaton. It's obviously a Wesley story. So Wesley Crusher, a.k.a. The Traveler pops into a sleeping Picard shortly before the events of Picard season one. The elder Picard states that it's been 30 years since he's last seen the young man, which would place the uh, events of Picard about 30 years after Star Trek Nemesis, assuming that he remembers seeing Wesley at the wedding, which is about 10 years later than everything all the other promotional material has, which says it's been 20 years since Star Trek Nemesis. Little bit of a nitpick, but uh, we'll just keep moving on. Wesley says that he needs to escape the gazes of them just as there's a, like a flash of light that starts to appear uh, in the middle of the room. The them is never defined, but it's either the travelers themselves not liking that Wesley's visiting his former life, or perhaps it's the Davidians from the recently reviewed Coda novels. Don't know. Wesley uses his powers to transport Picard and himself so that they can have a discussion. Wesley says that he has his eyes on a certain person and wishes to bring this person into the Traveler's fold, but he's unsure of himself. He asks Picard how did Picard know that a little boy would be a great pilot of the Enterprise? Picard states that it was the Traveler himself who said to encourage Wesley in anything that drove him picard also tells wesley that wesley needs to look into himself and not into others for guidance wesley does so and he remembers several conversations with all of the main next generation cast he uh, is then surprised that he's able to remember so much because it's been so very 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 long since he was ever referred to as wesley so now kind of piecing his older self with this newer self He now knows what to do so wesley returns picard to his proper timeline knowing that his former mentor will have no memory of this time with him heartfelt goodbyes are exchanged and wesley departs yet again wesley arrives in the year 2024 where he is about to walk up to a young woman who actually is a clone of data's ancestor to make her a special kind of offer the end.
1: I like it. This is yep. cool. Yep. I mean, it ties into that little backdoor pilot that they uh, tacked on to Picard, season two. Yep. I liked it. Me too. I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, they've definitely established the Travelers are a thing. No toys about it. We don't know everything they do out there. But you had mentioned the Coda novels. Which we find out a lot more about what Wesley's been up to and the travelers, and so it was kind of cool that they're looking back at this. As for several backdoor pilots that season two did, right? So
0: yeah, I just thought it was—I thought it was really interesting because doesn't he even say something about he's doing this because he's breaking the rules? Because it's possible that this timeline would also not exist so that's why i was really thinking oh this is a coda reference but uh i i ultimately i don't think it was no i
1: think it was just the other travelers that he wanted to get away from right the gaze of i think you were right the first time
0: but yeah i, I did think it was funny the uh not the word balloons you know but of the the like narration mm-hmm. i like how the boxes have the red yellow and blue Little colors on the side of the boxes when it's Wesley thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, to match his great sweater.
1: <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah, it has to be. Oh my gosh!
0: Oh, those are the funny. lines of the sweater, and then the gray, which is the box itself, is the gray tunic.
1: Oh my yeah. god! That is if that's if that's what they really did, because the red, golden, blue. I thought was you know typical Starfleet colors, but you're saying it was his infamous sweater. <laughs> that's, the <laughs> <way I joke laughs> it. that's the way I took it. Oh, that's funny. I am forever
0: defined by that stupid sweater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Wesley says it's been like thousands of years since mm-hmm. uh, he was Wesley, not mm-hmm. not just the thirty or twenty that Picard sees it as. Yeah. So can we talk about that timeline? Did you think this took place thirty years after Nemesis or twenty years? I did I mean, not. I just knew it. It was taking place in the Picard time frame, some point when he was out of
1: Starfleet and was back at the vineyard. I didn't right. know. He's, I,
0: I didn't. I didn't do the math you did. Yeah. So season one of Picard takes place twenty years after Nemesis. That's okay. that's been established. Yep. And then he definitely saw Wesley at the wedding because they're they're on stage together. So. Mm. Um, you can't, you can't say he wasn't there mm-hmm. unless Wesley used some traveler magic and everybody forgot that he was there. I don't know. <laughs> and and then is he referring to, it's been 20, it's been 30 years since, uh, that, that last episode he was in, in season seven, or is it saying that it's been 30 years since Star Trek Nemesis?
1: I don't know, but he also says himself, you know, human, how humans experience time, is is so different from what i've become accustomed to right so it's like wheaton's
0: almost giving himself an out if his math isn't 100 percent right yeah i just don't know why it wouldn't have been right yeah i'm thinking it's just a typo they put a two instead of or they put a three instead of a two
1: (laughs) okay i i doubt that Hmm. i think that's what was written
0: for whatever that, reason. That or Wesley really did erase everybody's memories at the end of uh, at the end of the wedding so that they didn't remember he was there. Or maybe it made absolutely
1: no sense for him to be there. And spe- wasn't he in a Starfleet uniform? Yeah, he
0: was in a Starfleet dress uniform. Yeah. So what was that about? He had to blend in. If you wanted he left, to say he if you wanted in to say Starfleet uniform.
1: <laughs> well if you wanted to say he he went off with a traveler, did his thing and came back from being a traveler, kind of like Cisco coming back from hanging out with the wormhole aliens. If you want to say that, that's one thing. But then don't say that you know you've been. Then twenty or thirty years later, whatever. Don't say that I've been a traveler
0: for all this time. You can't right. have it both ways. Ah, you can. I mean, he, I right. don't think he was. I don't think he came back. Uh, and again, I'm going off of the. Or, or do, you the, he, the do you think the novel? Do you think he was stuff. still a traveler when he came back for the? I think wedding. he was a traveler, and he just he blended in. Up. And he just he chose that uniform just so that he to didn't stand in. out there on the on the stage. Okay. Oh, but that's going off of the novels and stuff um, yeah. that are now quote unquote not canon. So okay, but this is uh, canon. You know, yeah. Sure. Everybody I mean, is, I mean, him showing up at the well, okay, of, him uh, showing yeah, up at the end of Picard is canon. canon.
1: We can say that. Yeah. That's canon. And him showing up in Insurrection is
0: canon. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Right. So all of his dialogue, canon. yeah, all of his dialogue was cut from Nemesis cuz I think he did have a scene where he explained what was going on. Mm. But they cut it. Yeah. So, in in my headcanon, he was there. He <laughs> was wearing the uniform so that he didn't blend so that he blended he in, blend in. But and, and he was a traveler. Okay. And then after the wedding, he poofed off to I mean, some he time he, he he couldn't wear
1: he couldn't wear civilian tux or civilian dress. Yeah, you know, when in Close at the wedding. Still wanted to look cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> could be. Could be. Anywho, I liked it. It was kind of cool. You know, it's like, okay, so you, you, well, what? what's all the things you learned from everybody, Wesley? Okay, fine. Good. Good. And then he gets the counseling from Picard, the advice from Picard yeah. he needs, and, and he makes his decision. And, but I got to ask. Mm why? I mean when he's first talking to Picard and everything and the way he's acting. Um he's he's saying he's making a decision that could mean the end of the entire multiverse or something. The universe, you know, whatever. And it's like and he's making he's making it sound like you know, it's going to happen any minute. And it's like wait a minute. So you're deciding whether to bring bring in your replacement. Because you're going to be gone in 150 years or whatever the time frame is. Right. You know, because timey-wimey when you're a traveler, it's like, it's like you're manufacturing urgency. And in the end, you find out it's BS. It's BS. Travelers are apparently important to the fabric of space and time. But it's like this person doesn't have to be up to speed in doing her work for, you know, a long time to come. And if she doesn't oh, ta- work out, you could get rid of her. It takes some training. So. Well, okay, but anyway. Okay, so one traveler. Well, okay, so I guess, I guess part of the, the point they're making is these travelers are working independently from each other, and they're making all these decisions, apparently alone, and
0: you can make a big mistake. Right. I mean, he okay. even says that he made a mistake once, and it, it yeah. affected a, a century of history. So Okay, but he's,
1: he's making things sound like it's really urgent. Like, right. yeah now, 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 I gotta make a decision. Now, now, now. And it's like, he can go back to, you know, the 20th century or 21st century anytime he wants. Right. Whatever. Right. Okay. That's fine. All right. It's nice. It's good seeing Wesley I love- and Picard together again.
0: Yeah, I love that story. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Okay. All right, so the next one is called The Starfleeter. Does that sound familiar? It is written by Mike Johnson, art by Megan Levins, Colors by Rhonda Pattinson. Letters by Neil Yutaki. So this is actually a continuation of that Discovery Adventures in the 32nd Century. Because this has Kila the Starfleeter in her really cute anime style. She's now, she, she being Kila, is sporting around the universe inside of a little single person discovery craft. And she crashes into an ice moon. She then takes the opportunity to explore the ice planet. And she finds that Lorel has also crashed there. Lorelle accuses Keeva of stealing her lunch. Kind of like a Goldilocks situation. So she then challenges her to a trial. A trial by Gok. So Keela is excited because she says she's never tried it and she eats a giant bowl of it and then finishes it all off with a mighty belch and declares "Gok destroyed or no I'm sorry "Gok digested. So Laurel then admits defeat Keila says that she wants mutual cooperation as her reward and the two of them are able to complete the repairs on both ships within a single hour. The two then depart the planet, and referring to each other as pals. The end.
1: How cute! So, Kayla, the starfleeter, makes a Klingon friend by way of Goch and mutual (laughs) cooperation.
0: Oh, I think there's a lesson in there somewhere. Yep. Yep. I thought it was cute. Yeah, it's cute. It's nice. It doesn't quite make sense because Keela the Starfleeter didn't know about uh, the Discovery until it was already Discovery A, yet hmm. she's she's in a, a original oh, discover- Discovery. The original Discovery? Yeah. yeah there's no the, floating the, pylons. Exactly. <laughs> Which
1: I think is stupid, quite frankly. But, yes. Yes. And doesn't she look older? I mean, doesn't she look somewhere between the child version and the adult version? So, the, the yeah. previous... So, we saw this... The Starfleeter terminology in these characters, there's a style in that discovery, adventures in the 31st century, whatever, that focused on Lieutenant Keela or Lieutenant right. Commander Keela,
0: whatever she is. Right. Yeah, she was, she was going on, she was having some implant trouble and it caused her to yeah. remember her fantasies of being a Starfleeter. There you go. So Kayla Detmer. So that's the first place
1: I ever saw the term Starfleeter. So when I saw the oh, second page where they have the breakdown of the different stories and they have the titles, right? when I saw that this one was the Starfleeter, I was like, what? The mm-hmm. Starfleeter? And you got and all I, excited. You're like, well, I don't know if I was excited, but I was like, well, the only place I, are, are they using that more broadly <laughs> or what, what's going on? You know, that Kayla story used that and that's the only place I've heard it before. What, what's going on here?
0: So then the I first just... person, the first place I ever heard that term was actually the Marvel Comics the 1970s Marvel Comics. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they called it. Cuz they called Star Wars they would call the the people in Star Wars Star Warriors. Oh my and, god. And then it was Star Fleeters okay. in the like the letters okay. columns and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Well,
1: that that's where I heard the term. Yeah, I guess I guess I don't read letters sections of comics very much. Yeah, so this is the first place I ever heard of it. So it's like, "Oh, oh, and here it is." and it is it's a it's a it's a direct sequel yeah because she at the end end of the previous one as you mentioned she's in discovery and then now crashed discovery and now she looks a little bit older
0: yeah and she's wearing the uniform of the her adult self and she has the implants of her adult self so
1: yeah in the future so adult self in the 31st century or whatever
0: yeah which means that this is from the adult self's imagination, which is ah, kind of funny. Okay, okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, so this is what Detmer does when she's dreaming. There you go. So Mike
1: Johnson and, and who's that lady writer? Uh, novels and and is a, and is a big contributing uh, writer oh, uh, to uh,
0: Catherine Bear.
1: No. Well yeah. So Mike Johnson and this other very famous uh, Star Trek novelist and and other franchises, wrote the original one and now Mike Johnson is just doing this one on his own.
0: Yeah, It's cute. It's
1: cute. It's nice. I I like it. It's nice and light. Although I gotta say when we first see Elrel or Laurel, Laurel, right? Yeah, Laurel. When we first see her, it's got a cute little kid kind of uh, drawing of her, but she's holding on to a Bat'leth, a Discovery Bat'leth. And I just gotta say This is one of the worst examples of Star Trek form over function, ever. They use batliths where the edges, the outer edges of the batlith, are curved inward towards the user. Not outwards (laughs) towards the person you're going to attack. And it's like, it looks cool, but how could that ever be beneficial (laughs) if you're going to use it as a real weapon?
0: I don't know. I don't get it.
1: Is there something I'm missing here, Donovan?
0: No, no, you're right. No, I didn't like the Discovery Batlets. No. Plus, they're too thin. Yeah. They look like they would break. They almost look like they're, like, made out of bone or something. Yeah, this one looks like it's made out of bone, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're you're a lot more likely to cut yourself than the person you're attacking.
0: Right. All right. So, anything else about the Starfleeter? No, Starfleeter was cute. Nothing else to say. All right. So the next one is kind of a prequel to an upcoming series called Star Trek, which is uh, we've seen some like covers and it shows like maybe uh, Cisco being back after season seven of Deep Space Nine, along with Troy and Data. So they go on adventures together, I guess, in between Nemesis, maybe or before Nemesis, or I guess it would be after Nemesis, but we'll have to read them to find out. Right. Right. So it's called A Perfect Storm uh, I'm sorry, a perfect system, a prequel to Star Trek number one. It's written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Raman Rosanis, Colors by Lee Lowridge, and letters by Nathan Whitick. So the godlike Gary Mitchell stands before the abyss of the cosmos and he's lamenting to himself about how he was once a man. But now he's much, much more. He marvels about the accomplishments and ideals of the Federation. And he actually thinks about how they went from Cochrane to Archer to Burnham to Kirk to Picard and all the rest. He says that one day humanity itself will transcend just as he did and that he will be there to greet them. Or he would, if not for others, who want everything to be nothing. And then Gary himself starts to wither away and becomes a skeleton. And then we get the tagline, to be continued in issue number one. So, what'd you think? I thought it was
1: good. When I read this particular story, I started at the page where the story began. So, the whole thing about this being a prequel or something, anything... I was unaware of. Uh, so it talked about it being a prequel, like on the second page where they talk about all, all seven or six stories? Yeah, where it, where it gives all the page numbers and everything. Okay, so I didn't see anything talking about the prequel. So when I yeah. entered this, I entered this as, oh, a Gary Mitchell story. Okay, so let's see what goes on. And I was very surprised about how Gary is apparently grown up a bit. Since when he tried to kill Kirk. Right. So he sounds like a cool guy. You know, he's got his poop together. You know, he's looking forward to the day in humanity's far-flung future when they have evolved into his level. Great. So I guess he's, he turns out to be a nice guy after all. And, of course, he survived uh, being crushed by that big rock. Wonderful. And then he melts. He goes melty-melty in some... Beam some energy beam or something. It looks like it's coming down, and then kills him. Right, and or then be, they go they, into and then they go into saying to be continued in Star Trek number one, and and then you know it's like cool, and then they yeah. So I I thought I I was a bit thrown off because it was like Donovan mentioned something about a new ongoing series and. And Cisco's going to be in it, and, and, and there's Cisco, and, and other things. Like, okay, great. And so I was kind of pulling this back from conversations we've had in the not-too-distant past. And I was just not expecting this at all. So it went from a Gary story into, what the heck, Gary's dead? And then
0: <laughs> and then intro to the new series. So Right.
1: That's how I came at it.
0: And I really wonder what that means. He wants, against people that want everything to be nothing? What, did, what does that even mean? Well... Okay, well, let's conjecture
1: a bit, but when I first saw this, I was thinking, oh man, are they saying that something's coming that has the power to defeat Gary Mitchell completely and now the Federation's going to have to deal with it? It's like, whoa, that's pretty heavy. I wonder how they're going to get out of that one. And that's almost like setting up the big unwinnable fight that we saw in year five between Kirk and the Federation and the, and, and the Enterprise versus Gary Sevens handlers. Um, right, right, the Aegis. The Aegis, that's it. I, it was not coming to me. So it was like, okay, it's almost like the writers, Lansing and, and Kelly, are setting up something like that again. It, right. Kind of. But then I was like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out all this kind of stuff. And then I knew what you had said about, about different characters coming back and stuff. Uh, For this. And then I went and did a little searching. Uh, I found uh, something. Breaking news out of San Diego's Comic Con is coming hot and heavy. That means IDW Publishing was just announced word of a rebooted flagship Star Trek comic book series headed to your corner of the Milky Way this fall. Arriving in October and written by Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And it says some other things. Star Trek Number One will navigate a thrilling adventure storyline that streaks across the cosmos, joined by treasure of characters from throughout the Star Trek universe who must join forces to prevent the mysterious murder of the gods hmm and it's like ah, uh, so they're making uh Thor love and thunder. <laughs>
0: Well, I didn't read that, but when I was reading this story, kind of like what you were saying, what you were thinking while you were reading it, when he starts dissolving and he starts talking about, you know, there's something that wants everything to be nothing, and he's dying, or you think that he's dying. I was like, oh, "Oh, maybe this is going to tie into Q's death, and I was like, maybe this is going to explain why Q went from being omnipotent, uh, uh, omnipotent, Omnipotent. omnipotent to being dead you know uh theoretically you know very power you know he was still powerful but he was not nearly what he was and then okay. he ended up dying too so i don't know and then i turned the page and he's a skeleton and i'm like oh wow he's already dead not just this is this is about to happen right so uh again lots well, of questions what they're going to tie into i have no idea yeah and, and doesn't
1: this kind of seem a little bit like dakota novels because yeah um wasn't that the main thrust of it not necessarily killing the mur- murder of gods per se but destruction of the multiverse right uh for that particular alien race's uh, benefit
0: um and how many gods do we i mean i know that there's a lot of godlike well that, that's what they're there, talking about but uh, so but, we're gonna see q maybe we're gonna see uh
1: what the the organians organians the, the
0: melicons
1: melicons is that right
0: trill i mean uh trillane trillane right so so kind of like yeah, that so, so basically like yeah. that q versus the exactly universe exactly. Uh, yeah right. yeah again I was like ah, eh, we've already seen it but okay well but well, i mean it's kind of cool that they're bringing cisco in so now we're going to get the uh, the uh, wormhole aliens involved right and they're obviously godlike in there right so is it whatnot is it the worm it, I'm assuming so that's that why Q- this goes back. I don't
1: know. Well, in the Q story, it, it pulled characters from all the different uh, sub-franchises. Yep. And it was, be, it was explained because of the godlike powers of the, of the guys that were involved. They wanted yeah. to have a little game. Right. Okay, fine. So that's, what, that's how you could explain how you have this uh, you know game scenario on your smartphone where you're able to pick all these characters from the different franchises to make up your crew and you go on an adventure or something. Oh, so, right, 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 So, the, I mean, so that was explained that way. But how they... It, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this is explained. Yeah. Now, Crusher
0: and Cisco's one thing. But Data? Well, if it takes place... Oh, yeah. Well, so if it takes place after Nemesis, Data would be dead. Yeah. So that means it has to take place before Nemesis. And then,
1: how do you explain? Okay, well, before Nemesis, Crusher is still on the Enterprise.
0: Uh,
1: so, she and Data are leaving the Enterprise to join Cisco and whatever he's doing.
0: Yeah, I don't know. And these uniforms are not traditional uniforms. No, so they they, they it, look, it look it really more like it. Really feels like the
1: future. Exactly. It, it looks more like Picard than it does next gen.
0: Yeah. But it doesn't match Picard either. It, no, it's something okay. very new. I agree. And is that uh, the guy in blue? Is that Kim? I have no idea Harry who that Kim? is. I think it's supposed to be Henry Kim. No. Really? Yeah, I think so. It looks like him, kind of. Okay. okay. Squint a little. That would be great. <laughs> I mean, the, hair, the hairstyle, I don't know. And I would love to see him in something else. Yeah, that'd be great. I just that don't know who the little Andorian girl is. I don't know. So, anyways, uh, well, we won't have to wonder Harry, too much like... longer. It'll be the 26th, so just... Uh, 24 more days and a few of our questions will be answered there you go
1: okay so the last thing I want to say about this one before we move on is Mm -hmm. just that in the middle of the story there's an eyeball that's shown and in the eyeball in the iris there's a pinwheel of different characters right and many of them I know exactly who they are they're from the Star Trek universe
0: right so basically basically every era got two people from every Star Trek franchise okay starting with Cochrane. So the only people I'm not
1: sure of are the people over by Archer, with the high collars and everything. I mean that does not that does not look like an Archer uniform.
0: So who are those two girls on the left? So between the one right next to the one right next to Archer is Ensign... What's her name? Uh, What's her name? Is she from Enterprise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the uh, the. Linguist or whatever. Oh, the, what is the linguist person? Oh, I feel bad. What's her name? Hochi. Uh, Hochi, yeah. Hoshi? Hoshi, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Hoshi. And what about the one with all the braid on her shoulders?
0: That is... Wow. Michelle Yeoh's character. Whatever her her character is. Captain... Oh. Um, oh. oh, you think so? Yeah. That's who that's supposed to be? I'm pretty sure that's who it's supposed to be.
1: Oh, okay.
0: What's her name? Captain... Uh, um i forgot wow i can't believe my brain's not working well she wasn't in that
1: many episodes
0: well i mean but then she showed up as the mirror version and we still called her the same name and i can't remember what that name is
1: okay well i can't either so great um that's who that's supposed to be Hmm. jinjo right not jinjo Um, that's the name of the ship damn it it'll come to us let's not obsess about it (laughs) okay so it could be her but i guess i guess you could be right
0: But yeah, so So I like seeing Pike,
1: so that's cool. And of course, everybody else you'd expect.
0: That's a good point. Pike doesn't have a his a second from that franchise, unless you count that he's part of Burnham's franchise.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they got they've also got Zephram Cochran in there. It's kind of a one-off. yeah.
0: So he's like a one-off.
1: So anyway, I thought that was interesting. And then of course they got the uh, so they got the people in the iris, and then they got some of the ships in the outer
0: white of the eye right so that's but the best one uh, obviously being the NX-01 looking uh, all awesome the Enterprise E the most <laughs> awesome and the little baby Defiant I love it
1: I love the Defiant yeah I mean if I had to pick top two it would probably it would be Enterprise E Defiant I Oh, I like wow. Defiant a lot yeah and then probably probably the Enterprise D
0: yeah, although it, I
1: do it, like Voyager too. Oh,
0: it, it, if I had to pick um you know, no disrespect to the newer shows, uh-huh. but uh, none of none of the newer shows ships designs uh would make the list. Oh, I, okay. I don't know well, like number one them. Then? Uh, it'd be hard between the Enterprise A, Enterprise E and the NX-01. Those are those are probably my three favorites.
1: Okay, so the Enterprise A is not on here. But nope. fine. You're, you're going yeah. outside the
0: drawing. Oh, oh, if I was just going off the drawing itself. Yeah, Enterprise-E or NX-01. I I like both of those. Okay, NX-01. Ooh.
1: Okay, fine. Archer. You, you're just such an Archer fan.
0: I just like that design. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. No, it's not bad.
1: And I like how it can be expanded into the refit version
0: without too much trouble. Yep, just throw an en- engine the engineering, engineering section, section on it. Yeah, I, I
1: do like that. Okay, we should move on.
0: Yep. All right, so are we done with this one? Well, do you want to say anything about Rich Handley's? Yeah, no, I was going to mention that as as the the last Oh, okay, sorry. The last. I've episode. got nothing
1: else to say about the uh, Gary Mitchell thing.
0: Okay. The last thing in the uh, book is actually not a story, but it's an essay by Rich Handley entitled Star Trek number 400 Going Where No Publisher Has Gone Before. And basically he talks about how this is the 400th IDW Star Trek issue which is more than DC or Marvel ever did in the past of Star Trek. And basically they've, they've only been doing it since 2007. So within a very short amount of time, 400 unique Star Trek issues.
1: Yeah.
0: And, he and makes, we've read them
1: all. Yeah, we have. And he makes a very good point that not only is it a high number of issues, it's mostly pretty good stuff. Artwork, top-notch right. typically stories are really strong. Some of them are awesome, some are eh, serviceable, <laughs> but you know, on average really strong writing. Right. So, really great stuff. And he even pulls in some some commentary just to give context with action comics, DC action comics and detective comics. Uh
0: Yeah, they're both they both reached issue 1000 mm-hmm. here recently. Yeah. So I I think Rich did a
1: great job of doing a quick look back, kind of contextualizing it in the bigger comic book industry and just uh, underscoring what a great job IDW is doing. I mean, can you see any reason why Paramount would take the license away from IDW? It's like... Unless somebody came
0: up with more money.
1: Well, (laughs) uh, okay. So if Marvel decided they want... If Disney slash Marvel decided they wanted to go ahead and do the Star Trek thing, but would Paramount let them? Probably not. Anyway, yeah, who knows? No, that, yeah, I think or, this is a great this is a great symbiotic relationship between uh, Paramount, CBS, and
0: IDW. Yeah, I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, um, I did like in his article he personalized his Star Trek comic book journey, mm-hmm. saying that he was you know when he was a, a young boy he got kind of hooked into the DC mm-hmm. line, mm-hmm. and you know for me that was about when I got started too. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like oh wow. Somebody else got hooked into Star Trek comic books around the same time I did and are still reading them. Right. (laughs) Because there's not a lot of us, (laughs) Ken. I don't know. We've met many. That's true. We've met met a fair number over the years. That is true. But yeah, no, I liked it. Uh, It it did bring up one thing in this essay that I'm going to have to do some research on is the uh, Editoria Abril. As a publisher of Star Trek comics, hmm. so is that a Mexican publisher that published official Star Trek comics? And if so, we're gonna, have to, get, we're gonna have to get on Don't. that. How's your Spanish? <laughs> I got Google Translate; it'll help me out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be that would be different. I mean, it's enough that we went with the British comic strips, in my
0: opinion. But right. yeah, I guess we should. We'll have to do – I'll do a little research. Okay, yeah. if, if it wasn't official – I knew of some, like, uh, South American and Central American issues, but I didn't think they were officially licensed, hmm. so that's why I didn't include them. But but if these are official, we might as well get to them somehow. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, I'll have to do some research on that.
1: Cool. Okay, great issue. A very good celebration capped off with a very nice essay. Yep. By Mr. Yeah. Handley.
0: Yep. Looking forward to the next four hundred.
1: Yes, exactly the next
0: four hundred. Okay. Well, we're probably running long. Very long. And uh so just so that everybody knows, we're caught up on Star Trek material. So uh we've next- we achieved our ten year or ten plus <laughs> year mission. Which we thought yeah. would be three, four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a while. It's been okay. a while. So But anyway, so uh, next week we're doing something a little funny, a little different, and that is Stargate Atlantis. Yes, and
1: do you have it handy? I don't. I do not. Okay, well I could probably pull it up real fast, but it's a three-parter, Stargate Atlantis, I don't know how many, Uh, they probably had like three or four, and we really should mention which specific one. We're going to be doing Stargate Atlantis Wraithfall, which is a 2006 three-parter. So it should fit nicely in one episode next week. Yep. Yep. Something to look forward to. There you go. 375. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Just get the hell out of here.